Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective. Today, I've got James with me. And what we're going to be discussing today is a timeline of the war in uh, Israel or Gaza or the Israel-Gaza conflict, however you want to put it. Um, we're in day 48 of the war, and I'm going to do some of the news roundup as per usual. But I think this is useful to do just because, although actually the 7th of October when it began isn't very far away, so much has happened in the meantime, that actually gaining a kind of mental sense of... Um, linearity of time, so to speak, is going to be useful. Um, but to start with the news, as I said, we're in day 48. Uh, luckily, in the last four hours, the death toll of IDF soldiers doesn't seem to have increased. It's standing at 70, which is very good. Um, but the news yeah, but the news has been dominated largely by the same topic as it has been the last few days, which is the hostage deal. Um, as we spoke about yesterday, it had been announced by the IDF that the truce was due to begin at 10 a.m. today, 10 a.m. on Thursday. However, Qatar contradicted that. It seems that the, the hostage deal is going to begin tomorrow um, from 10 a.m., according to Qatar. Um, and Hamas has ratified this, so this is presumably when it's going to begin. Um, and then the first hostages are going to be released at 4 p.m. on that day, where there's going to be 13 hostages released. Um, and then also uh, Hezbollah have announced that they're going to stand by this ceasefire even though they weren't involved in the negotiations they're going to hold to this um that hasn't stopped them in the last 24 hours launching 80 missiles into israel uh, at the last minute i suppose but they've said they're going to abide by it as well um and that's mostly what's been in the news it also was in there as well that the head of the al-shifa hospital has been arrested by the idf on suspicion of being a kind of accomplice or a terror suspect, um, which only makes sense, really, given Israel's claims about al-Shifa being a, a base for Hamas. That presumably couldn't have been done without collaboration from the hospital staff to some extent. Oh, um, American reporters were showing us the weapons uh, caches behind the MRI and CAT scan machines um, yeah. and so forth. Uh, and the evidence that we have, not just from IDF, but from independent reporters and independent observers they brought in, confirms the tunnels underneath that hospital, confirms the weapon caches there. Uh, so it, those who were saying that, that Israel is just lying to us about Hamas and uh, Islamic groups like that, using hospitals and schools and so forth has been vindicated once more, but we knew this years ago. Yes. Um, it's becoming increasingly hard to deny that, to be honest. There was an interview with a a British doctor who had gone to visit the Ashiva hospital sometime, I think a year ago. Um, and he said he was explicitly told by his colleagues, there's parts of the hospital you're, you're not going to go into and you're not allowed to go into. And in which non-medical staff were going into and coming out of, he didn't know what they were there for. Um, so people who want to kind of keep up the Hamas line that there's nothing going on here, uh, basically have their work cut out for them, don't they? Um, but that was did. most, yeah, but that was, pretty much the news roundup for today. Um, so let's start with the beginning of the war then, James. Um, what's your memory of the 7th of October? Well, I was pleasantly going about my day um, uh, doing podcasts for my religion book on, on Christianity when I was rudely interrupted with these stories. And of course, I had to drop everything and I went right to those stories and I tried to get the hard information, the best hard information I could, because of course I knew that there'd be disputes about all the facts involved, uh, but it became increasingly clear to me what had happened. Uh, a surprise attack, now mind you, just to set even further context, 
uh, uh, Facebook uh, prompted a memory, you know how Facebook has their memory function? An 11 year old memory of mine was a cartoon, 11 years ago today, a cartoon, Hamas attacks Israel, Hamas attacks Israel, Hamas attacks Israel, three different you know panels of the cartoon. Fourth panel, Israel defends itself, reporters out in front, Israel attacks Hamas. Yeah. Okay, now that's the context. That's the context. And if you're looking for causes, Israel was always the bad guy. They were the minute Hamas, you know, 17 years ago, Israel unilaterally gave Gaza to the Palestinians, unilaterally, without any recognition requirements, without any other uh, concessions on their part. And instead of, as we've observed many times, instead of making it a decent place for their people to live, they immediately, I mean, within a month of Hamas being elected by 60% of the population or more, uh, the uh, 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 they looked, started within a month, started lobbing uh, rockets into Israel and continuously did so on and off again for the last uh, 17, 18 years. Uh, that's just been the reality. Uh, and Israel, whenever it defends itself, has been the bad guy. Now, in this case, there was something of a ceasefire before October 7th. Uh, there, at least there hadn't been immediate violence before this. This was a surprise attack directly on civilians. And the facts are horrific. And rather than focusing on the facts there, where we would stop and we would say, wait a minute, the children are being killed, families are being burnt alive, people at a concert are being mowed down indiscriminately, people are being raped to death. Now, once I confirmed those basic facts there, it seemed to me, well, okay, the world should finally of course, this is an, my objectivist perspective on this, where we see who the aggressor is, who the savages are, what the atrocities are, where the war crimes are coming from, where the life hatred and savagery is coming from. Okay, this will get everyone's attention. Mm, mm, boy, sorely disappointed. Now, we came out fierce and strong, surely, and we came out with the objectivist uh, principles involved, the correct principles of self-defense. We came out not defining this as some kind of ethnic dispute, but it, but the frontier of civilization and civilization on the line here, which it truly is, which it truly is. But even from the moment this began, uh, the very next day, I was starting to hear the most hateful, despicable reaction against Israel from all over the world. You know, practically every nation, including some of the most civilized nations on earth, yours and mine, Australia, coming out with the most thousands of people taking to the streets in the wake of this. So rather than focus on the hateful ideology which would cause the horrors of October 7th, the hateful ideology that would cause the atrocities, the torture, the life hatred that is dripping from an event like that, rather than analyzing the ideology that would justify and excuse and make that possible. We're now considering, oh, well, what did Israel do to do? Israel's got to hold back. And that's the first thought or how evil Israel is just for existing. And that was coming from some quarters as well. So it was quite um, psychologically uh, uh, shocking to me, is I guess the best way to put it, between the trauma of having to hear about events like families getting burnt alive and then uh, people being raped to death and uh, uh, then hearing the international reaction. I, I, I'm afraid it was thrown for a psychological loop and I'm still kind of, I mean, here we are weeks out, as you point out, a month and a half later, and I'm still uh, yeah. trying to process it properly. Um, yeah, it's well, 
the horror of what went on in that day it's, is actually hard to hold in your mind. It's trying to like trying to think of infinity almost. It's like it's really hard to hold all, all of it in mind at once. Um, my memory of that day was getting up in the morning and I think it was a Saturday. So I, I don't think I had m- much to do in that morning. So I was spending time with my partner. And I kind of, because my job here requires me reading a lot of the news, I kind of take an embargo from the news in the morning. So I, had, I hadn't seen it. Um, and then I see a message from Razzie saying that we're going live. And I think that would have been, I think it was around 11 p.m. or midday that he and Nikos went on the channel and we're talking about the conflict. And this was a, you know, took me by surprise. So that was the first indication I had that anything was going on. And as soon as I watched the video and hear just maybe 30 seconds of what they're talking about, I go, I go onto the BBC or whatever and, and read a bit of what's gone on. And I'm not shocked per se, because you know, I'm aware of the kind of cyclical nature of what's going on in Israel and Palestine. But I, but then on the other hand, I am shocked just in the to the extent of it, um, com- of how awful it is compared to the previous instances. Um, you know, the previous outbreak of violence on this kind of scale was in 2021. And I remember my reaction to that as well. And it was that this is terrible. This is so bad. I can't believe how people aren't reacting more, more on Israel's side. But <clears throat> there was something so much more in, obviously intense and obviously bad about this one. It seemed to me on the 7th of October um, that now this must surely be the impetus to finally resolve it. Um, and of course, the worry now is that that isn't exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I, I went and found a little timeline of exactly um, how things went down. So the attack, according to what I could find, started began at 6.30 in the morning and began with an, um, a video posted online from the head of Hamas's military wing, uh, declaring Operation, what did he call it? The Al, Al-Aqsa Flood. Um, and that was interesting to me because in no other kind of conflict does the military commander post a video online declaring that it's going to happen unless you want the world to watch you do it. And of course, what was unusual about it was how much filming went on and how much evidence there is of what happened. Um, they themselves that they took themselves, there's a bunch of video. That was one of the first things that I noticed as well. And one of the first things that was available online, frankly, were these announcements and and at least parts of this video. Um, Some um, um, social media outlets weren't gonna just, you know, let it all through. Uh, But still, that was like the first thing we heard is that they were proud of killing civilians at a concert or babies. Uh, it's shocking, but they woke people up in the morning from bed, killed people in their beds, in their kitchens as they were making breakfast. Uh, pretty horrific. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, it wasn't until 7 a.m. that they got to the music festival. And uh, and then, of course, we know what happened there. Um, there was around, I think it's meant to be between sort of 3,000 people at that festival. And I think it's 240 of them were killed or taken hostage. Um, actually, I think that's the number of the hostages I'm thinking of, but a huge, a huge number are killed and taken hostage. Um, and then by midday, 1,200 rockets uh, fired from Gaza into Israel, into southern Israel primarily. Um, and Netanyahu comes on the news, I think, around about 9 a.m. to m- make the message that he made, saying to you know people of Israel were at war. And then it's at 4 p.m. that he speaks to Joe Biden and Biden declares, you know, you have our support. 
and so on and so forth. And that's basically how the first day goes down. And it's not until the following day that actually war is formally declared by the legislature and so on. Um, so that's the initial phase. And then, as you said, we get to the international response, not only from governments, which initially tends to be better. Right. So initially, initially, it's Israel has a right to defend itself. We condemn this. This is shocking. So even the Pope, you know, initially said, oh, it's terrible that Hamas has taken um, these hostages, although the Pope is kind of an indicator of where things go, because he also in- immediately said, uh, was criticizing Israel for defending itself for launching att- missiles against uh, Hamas. Um, and, of, and of course, just in the last few days. Mr. Turn the Other Cheek is going to have, you know, a, a very specific attitude about this. Uh, yeah, uh, they're both, you know, non-Catholics as far as he's concerned as well. Uh, but, you know, the Israelis have this uh, questionable view from the Catholic perspective that they have a right to defend themselves properly. Uh, only really objectivists are the ones who can really come in and defend. I mean, when you could, you could hear it in all the qualified responses, all the little asterisks that were put on these leaders. And what we're concerned, even from the beginning, our foreign minister, our secretary of state, uh, Mr. Blinken, he had a little, well, of course, we're still concerned about Israel's overreact. Israel must not overreact. What? Coming right in the first messages, we're worried about Israel's overreaction? I mean, that is precisely the kind of poor logic that's going to encourage, well, just as we're seeing this hostage negotiation here, ignoring of causes as you as you exchange five-year-old girls for many more actual terrorists as the deal we're getting of course it's a nightmare i know we're skipping the timeline a bit but rather than coming in to see say no israel has a right to defend itself fully and eliminate the threat eliminate the potential threat from this ever happening again they began to say well israel should not overreact that was my first clue that, of course, things were going to go south. Yeah. And on the first day, my reaction was, as I said, it was much more, OK, at last, finally, um, things are going to be done about this because this is just so terrible that people can't uh, ignore it or push it away even more. And then by the second day, uh, I felt very deflated um, because, as you said, we were already seeing signs of the um, of the backing away from the defense from, from Israel. I'm not majorly but you see those initial kind of chippings away of the of the armor and that was immensely disappointing um and then of course we see the huge outbreaks of demonstrations in favor of um palestine or you know and or you know pro hamas as, as razi wants to call them. vast demonstrations in london and sydney australia i mean vast demonstrations in sydney they were yelling gas the jews in new york city they were holding up swastikas but if we're seeing that in London and New York and Sydney, uh, that was tremendously disturbing to me, uh, as if they were defending the slaughter of innocent civilians, the torture and rape and slaughter of innocent civilians, the taking of hostages at all as such. Uh, uh, it's there. If you cannot you see, this is the thing. Moral considerations are not considered objective considerations. Morality has been a field that has been dominated by either religion or just sheer emotionalism. Our secular atheist type says it's all, you know, just a, our Sam Harris's, our Richard Dawkins's. They, they don't really have a, a notion of objective morality, our new, new atheist types. That's just emotions. And so it's a pure, purely emotional thing. So for them, 
you know, uh, Palestinian casualties are just as uh, 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 distressing as the babies killed on October 7th could possibly be. And it's all a question of math for them. And it's all a question of emotions. And so uh, there's no objectivity there. The religious people, uh, you know, they're going to take sides. And uh, so you've got your Christians who say, turn the other cheek. And you've got your Christians who are, for religious reasons, pro-Israel. And you've got the even some ethnic uh, uh, Jewish defenders of Israel are saying it's God's chosen land. And those are the defenses. So in the realm of morality, there's no objective consideration of what's going on. It's all a morass of religious dogmas, uh, tribal associations, and then from the more secular, better types, sheer emotionalism, no objective morality. Had we had some grounding to think, okay, now we're going to got to think about this factually, got to get some uh, real values here uh, in play. What, who are the bad guys? What is the long-term effect for human life? No, 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 no. No objective moral considerations here, because then it would be a no-brainer, right? You, it doesn't matter. You have to take out the capacity of these savages from being able to do this again. That is the moral right that Israel has now. Uh, but that was never defined. Uh, more than that, it was just an emotional thing so that members of the, the left in the Democratic Party, the, the squad, refused to condemn the baby killing. Uh, people, uh, of course, even larger number in the Labour Party in Great Britain. They're, they're, the, the point is, these people have hated Israel all along. They're not going to you know, speak a word uh, against what happened, in effect. They're going to all they can do is mouth justifications, in effect, for the horrific atrocities and slaughter. And by compromising one little bit, another objectivist principle, by compromising one little bit with these people, and look at how horrifically they're compromising now, they're just in guaranteeing, ensuring October 7th after October 7th after October 7th. Because within how many days of October 7th did the leader of Hamas say, well, there's going to be more, there's going to be October 7th after October 7th until Israel is wiped off the face of the earth. He said that within days of October 7th. Yeah. I think, you're, I think you're really right that morality is something which is abandoned, because even though people say, oh, Israel has a right to defend itself, which is a principal kind of moral issue. Um, if you speak to people who are relatively young, so I, a friend of mine asked me my opinion on this, because he, because um, in effect, what what the kind of war between Israel and Palestine is, I think it's very confusing for young people, because it's a conflict which is breaking out whilst they're growing up, and they don't know very much about it. And what they do hear people talk about it are, um, land rights going back thousands of years in effect and not not the idea of like well who is the victim who is the, the victim of aggression and so on and so forth so they're confronted with this idea well how do I figure out who owned land thousands of years ago obviously they can't and so then like trying to figure out the issue in their mind is extremely difficult um, which side represents civilization? Which side comparatively respects individual yeah. rights? The legitimacy of a government, the legitimacy of a state, as we objectivists know, depends upon the their defense of individual rights. That's their sole moral function, government. And to the extent, and it's a comparative thing, obviously, to the extent that a government respects uh, and enforces individual rights and is trying to create a peaceful and free context for their people to live and prosper in, they're the good guys. And in this, if you were to think in principle terms, it's obvious who the aggressor is. If you're to think in principle terms, it's obvious who the good guy is in this context. And we don't need a long, huge history lesson for that, do we? In fact, that would be the wrong way to go. Uh, now, of course, Jews have been in the area for thousands of years. That I know as a historian. But morally speaking, 
that that's really not the issue here, is it? Uh, yeah. Well, and thinking in principle, one of the reasons why you need to do that is because it helps you get. Because I think if you're confronted with the idea of negotiate who owned this piece of land for thousands of years, um, that's instantly overwhelming. And prince and principles are designed to help you get over that kind of mental overwhelm. Um, but to go back to the timeline, the, the things that yeah. we're ta they're talking about, no, it's okay. The um, the period of kind of protests and then slow erosion by um, of support from Western governments has basically been the story for the last you know five or six weeks. It's been the the continuing story. Um, so whilst you get, for example, rhetorically strong support from Joe Biden, um, who you know as, as much as I don't have a high opinion of him, whilst he's I should compliment him when he's actually doing good things he said rhetorically he's saying good things um you know um he said the other day that the war will not stop until hamas and longer able to hurt jews or something like that you know that's very good however he is also at the same time saying that israel has to wage war in a certain way and then anthony blinken who is of course his secretary of state is going around the middle east and is saying things which are undermining israel's right to defend itself the whole time completely i am embarrassed isn't the word it's atrocious because they weren't thinking in principle they were compromising they were saying put the hostages first and insofar as american policy leaders both in congress and uh the secretary of state are saying well we'll we must do it israel must do everything to get those hostages back no matter what even if it's a hundred killers for every five-year-old girl that gets released or any deal that says oh we'll just some at a time because of this, uh, oh, I see you. So the principle, we've caved in, in effect, it's like Ayn Rand said about negotiating with the burglar over the spoons. The minute you cave in and say, oh, well, some hostages, okay, we'll take, we'll give you some concessions for some hostages. You've conceded the whole point that hostage taking is okay. And you've guaranteed future hostage taking, promise. If any of these folks survive, they've got a green light. And of course, Iran and Hezbollah will survive this. Uh, the, taking hostages is now a, a profitable you know, thing. Kaching, it will pay. Take hostages. Take women and children hostages. Those will be high-valued ones. And we can get a, you know, a, a, a cohort of terrorists released for every single one of those innocent women and children. You're encouraging it. You're making it pay. You are now causing it, in my view. Um, <clears throat> Yes, exactly. Well, and so then that, you know, in terms of the timing, that is where what this period of um, erosion of support from the international community and the process leads to. Um, you know, I don't, whether this is how it seems on the world stage, I don't know, but at least in the UK, the protests culminate in the um, Remembrance Day protest, where I think if I'm getting the number right, it's about 13,000 people who go and march through London yes. um, in support of Hamas. And then what all this pressure on Israel leads to and presumably a lot of diplomatic pressure being levered on them as well by the US, by the UK, by the, by their allies, um, is to call a ceasefire. And then Israel, there's an interesting editorial in the Times of Israel today explaining why the ceasefire is going on. And it's basically people trying to rationalize why the Israeli government, it's actually good for the Israeli government to be doing this. Um, and it's because by declaring ceasefire, they can get Israeli citizens back. And whilst, of course, there's a sense in which that's desirable, you don't want these people to die. Um, the ceasefire is to the advantage of Hamas. And uh, this is a period which allows them to regroup and it takes the pressure off them and so on and so forth. Right. Of course they want to. And you know something? Think about the timeline again. 
by October 10th, October 7th is when this happened, by October 10th, Israel, without using a nuclear weapon, could have flattened the whole of the Gaza Strip, could have wiped out and largely depopulated just using conventional weapons. It's got an impressive air force. It's got some impressive um, uh, bombs and missiles. It could have, in effect, flattened and largely depopulated the Gaza Strip by October 10th. It did not. It didn't do so by October 20th. It was still getting its act together and telling the world kind of how it was about to approach these things uh, in that time. So think about how cautious Israel was. Think how they're respecting the civilians. The only people that give a damn about civilians on either side is the Israeli government here. Gaza, well, no, to some extent, Gaza gives a damn. They want their own babies dead so th for propaganda purposes. They actively want their own civilians dead so that they can use it as propaganda as Israel. That was the plan. That was obviously the intentional plan from the outset. So uh, the very idea of calling what Israel's doing a war crime, which is what I was already starting to hear before Israel had done anything. Israel was already guilty of a war crime. Uh, in effect, there were there editorialists uh, from the New York Times and The Guardian were in BBC who were already suggesting Israel's guilty of a war crime before much defense had ever happened at all. Yeah. One of the, so this, this conflict is also very good at showing us, if it, if it weren't clear already, the problems that are in our own moral thinking. Because what is the thing that's constantly being reported in the headline is Israel's actions. Um, although the Pope, you know, initially kind of start, says, oh, it's terrible that Hamas has released the hostages. He doesn't then continue talking about Hamas. He talks a lot about Israel. And it, and it goes to the way in which the kind of implicit premise of the people who are criticizing Israel is that they have to know on some level that Israel is the better party, are the better people, um, are the people who can be reasoned with, are the people who don't want to commit wholesale destruction and slaughter. And the implicit premise is that Hamas, oh, that's what Hamas is like. That they'll do that anyway. What would be the point of trying oh, to pressure? It's, it's 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 inevitable. It's deterministic. It's built into Hamas. The the Arab Palestinian mentality could never change. That's a, just an axiom. Their hatred of Israel. It's an axiom. Their tribalism. We just have to cope with it, no matter what, and that'll never change. <laughs> On the one hand, there, uh, it, it, it it's astonishing. <laughs> Israel shows restraint, as we say. They don't show restraint, and that by itself should show some moral clarity. But no, 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 uh, there's no moral clarity. You've got Catholics like the Pope, as you mentioned. And of course, they, Christ, there are many Christians from the origin of Christianity who think martyrdom is a wonderful thing, uh, who think suffering is a great thing. And what a blessing on Israel to have their civilians slaughtered like that. How lucky Israel was to have been made martyrs like that, because we know the real goal of life is to die so that we can get into the next dimension. So if, if you praise, you know, martyrs as your highest saints, like many Christians do, starting with the Pope, of course, this was a this was a salvation opportunity not to be missed. This was a wonderful chance to sacrifice your life and be a victim. Uh, you got the religious people like that over there. You got the emotionalist types over here who can't see anything but morality, like I say, morality is anything but based in emotions. And since we all know that m worldwide Muslims have this built-in emotional mechanism, that's their conscience, that's their morality. We can't question it. It's sort of a moral relativism here. Uh, they feel justified. And you can't question, can't get underneath that with logic or fact. Well, is that justification? No, 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 no. That's just their traditional, that's just the way it's always been and will always be. Mm. 
so we're going to have to wrap up. I'll just say thank you to Bonnie and uh, Gail. Bonnie gave 99 cents and Gail. Sorry, to, sorry to take the timeline and get <laughs> no. into a couple of speeches there. Uh, but, uh, but you know something? We we here at the Ayn Rand Center, uh, United Kingdom, offer a very distinct viewpoint you're not going to find anywhere else on this topic. And I'm very proud to be working for people like you and Rosie, who've been char- leading the charge on this. Uh, Morgan. So thank you very much. And if you guys think this kind of programming is important, please do consider becoming a paid subscriber to the Ayn Rand Center UK. There's all kinds of special perks that are involved as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's cold here in Scotland. Someone's got to keep the heating bill going. Um, <laughs> but good. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure to speak with you, James. Uh, a couple of things that James was talking about, actually, are, are what we're talking about um, on the reality show coming up in just a few minutes. So please stay with us and we'll see you guys in just a few minutes. Bye-bye.